I'd like to start with a story that I heard many years ago that had, has stuck with me for a long time. And it goes like this. A man cuts his finger one day doing some gardening. And his wife suggests that he goes to the hospital. After some persuasion, he decides to go. He arrives at the hospital car park and goes into the entrance. And when he gets into the room, he sees a sign saying, welcome. And an arrow pointing to two doors. One door says emergency. The other door says not emergency. So he goes through the door, not emergency. When he gets into that room, he sees two more doors. And one door says over 40. And the other door says under 40. So he goes through the door. It says over 40. He arrives in another room, and also in that room, there's two more doors. One door says internal, and the other door says external. So he takes the door that says external. He arrives in another room with two more doors. One door says upper body, and the other door says lower body. So he takes the door upper body. He arrives in another room, which also has two more doors. One says serious, and the other one says not serious. So he takes the door not serious, and he ends up back in the car park. So when he arrives back home and his wife says, how'd you go? <laughs> Did they help you? He replies, no, but they sure were organized. <laughs> and it is a humorous story. It is funny and it has some level of humor to it. But the context for me and the why it stuck with me is because I don't want to be a church that is organized, but we don't help anybody. I think that would be tragic that we got all our little systems and we got all our little routines and we got all our little services and we got all our little things that we love, all the duckies in a row, but it's got to come down to the biggest question. Did we help anybody? I would always advocate being organized and helping people. It's not one or the other. We're not organized, but we try to help people. The spirit of it is simply this, is that God is the God of order. He's a God of order. He brings order to chaos. He's a God who brings function to dysfunction. You can have a messy life, and if you'll let God be God, he can turn the mess into a message. If you'll let God be God in your life, he will take your weakness and turn it into incredible strength. He takes your disadvantage in life, and he turns it into an incredible advantage, because that's what God does. He takes the rejected, the broken, the disheartened, the overlooked, the unseen. And he does something profound and he fills that which the world ignores or rejects or overlooks and he fills that person with his spirit and his wisdom. And he lets them know that with his hand upon their life and his favor towards them that they can come out of the shadows and they can come out of the brokenness and they can come out of the ashes and they can come out of the frailty and they can come out of the vulnerability. They can come out of all the lack in their life and begin to make progress towards the promise of God for their life. And I'm here to talk to you today about the promise of God on your life, but the promise of God on your life needs a process. And I would like to talk to you today about the beautiful thing called process. It's not exactly exciting to hear about process. It's very exciting to hear about the promise, but the promise needs a process. And so this story for me highlights that how many churches in our own country, in our own city, maybe they're organized, but fail to help anybody. 
And I want you to understand Hillsong Berlin, we're not here just to be organized. We're not here just to have our nice Hillsong music and our nice prayers and our nice feel-good services. And I'm not saying that to be condescending. I'm just saying it because it's more than that. It's, it helped me. It lifted me. It moved me. It changed me. It stretched me. It confronted me. But I'm telling you now, it's helping me. That would be the greatest joy to know that we are actually making a difference. And one of the things that we need to understand is the biggest thing the church has been called to do is to close the gap between God and humanity. It's called spiritual poverty. You can own the world, but still be spiritually poor because it's about being right with God. And you can be right with God and absolutely go nowhere if you don't start to apply and understand the process. And so this is what I really want to encourage you. So this is the continuation of the series called Growing Up Spiritually. And I think it's so important that we understand that. The role of the local church is to close the gap and deal with spiritual poverty. And then when we get to be right with God, guess what we get to do? We get to now make a difference in the world when it comes to physical poverty. Right there in the foyer, when you go out, we've got a small suggestion about solving the problem with plastics. We can't do everything, but we can do something. Our church is committed to breaking children out of the cycle of poverty. It's called sponsoring children. And we're committing to clean water for everyone. It's called running every year in a race in Berlin so we can raise money for a fresh water well. And I'll be talking to you more about that this year because we've got opportunity to create a water well in the community in Uganda. And then I've got other things to talk to you about. But one of the problems we've got to pick up is plastics. It's in the oceans, it's in the food chain, it's everywhere. I don't know what it is, but it's a very minute percentage of plastics that are created that are actually recyclable. It's not even close to 10%. So we have 90% or higher of plastics in our world that's not helping. It's working against us. So what has that got to do with anything to do with faith and church and the Bible? Everything, because He's given us the planet. He's given us the oceans. He's given us the air. He's given us the soil. And He's given everything in creation. Of course we're going to talk about it. Be not right to not talk about it. And so there is such an opportunity for you, a child of God, to live your faith in a noble, dignified, respectful way. And so we need you to grow up spiritually. We need you to move beyond me, myself, and I into all the promise of God. But the promise of God is going to go through a process. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Is that okay? And so let me use the key verse. We've been talking from the book of Ephesians all since the start of this year, or I have anyway. And Ephesians 4 says this, no more immature behavior amongst us. No more immature behavior amongst us. Undeveloped people are an easy mark for imposters. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and to speak it in love. Be like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us that we will grow up healthily in God, that we will grow up healthily in God, robust in love. Some of the myths about growing, if I can talk about the myths of growing, is we have this idea maybe sometimes that growing is automatic, and it's not. Sometimes we can think that growing is instant. And we get very frustrated with ourselves because we feel like we're not growing. But we've got to rely on that growing is not instant. It's a process. Growing comes by attending church, which is just so not true. Because you can come to church for years and never grow. I don't need others to grow. It's not true. 
You need other people to grow if you're going to really grow into all that God's got you, called you to be. I can grow just by hearing the message. You cannot. You can grow by feeding on the word, feeding on the word of God for yourself. Amen. And listening to the messages and getting the notes and sharing it because that's where growth comes from. You won't grow because you sat in a service. You won't grow because you sat next to someone who's got a Bible. (laughs) And you won't grow because the person next to you or behind you or in front of you tithes. You grow because you get involved. You grow because you make a decision. You grow because it's a gradual process. You've got to allow it to go over time. Over time, you'll start to find yourself. In one year, measure yourself, not two minutes. In one year, my goodness. And even better, in 10 years. Oh, my goodness. Growing comes from getting involved. Growing comes from allowing others into your life. And growing comes by living and living out what God has spoken to you. Live life with a sense of increase. Amen? Not as people who do not know the meaning and the purpose of life, but those who do. Make the best use of your time despite all the difficulties of these days. Don't be vague, but firmly grasp what you know to be the will of God. Don't get your courage from excess drinking, but from the power of the Holy Spirit. To take responsibility, if I can say it this way, it means that you're preparing for increase. When more responsibility comes your way, it literally is another way of saying more increase is coming your way. So to avoid responsibility is basically to avoid increase. You can only increase your life by taking on more responsibility. See, this applies to believers. And it can apply to all humanity because there's wisdom for every person in this context. But not everyone who follow, who's, not, who's not interested in God is going to listen to the wisdom of God because that's what the Bible says. It says the fool does not pay attention to the wisdom of God. They believe what they want to believe. And so let me get, say this way. Your spirit is your responsibility. The spirit that you have. Is it a big spirit? Is it a genuine spirit? Is it a negative spirit? Is it a critical spirit? Is it a broken spirit? Or is it a big spirit? Do you believe you're sitting next to a person with a big spirit? Do you believe that you are a person with a big spirit in Jesus' name? Amen. Because you've got to remember what's inside of you is going to come out of you. And so these are the thoughts we need to consider. So my spirit is my responsibility. My thoughts are my responsibility. Take responsibility for the thoughts you have. Your thoughts will like a train. They take you somewhere. So if you don't like where you're ending up, if you don't like where the train's taking you, well, get off the train. In other words, arrest the thoughts. I'm not going to think like that. I'm going to think not negatively. I'm going to start thinking positively. In other words, I'm going to start building good thoughts into my life. When I wake up in the morning, the first thought that I have is going to be a good day today, Lord. And I'll tell you what, whatever you go to bed with is what you wake up with. I'm not talking about like I go to bed with Joyce and I wake up with Joyce. Obviously, that happens because she's my wife. But I'm talking about the thoughts you go to bed with. That's why the Bible says don't go to sleep. What does it say? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So your spirit, your thoughts, your decisions are your responsibility. So ask yourself a question. Every generation that is a leading generation is a generation who asks questions. 
And the questions are not cynical or skeptical. The questions are bigger than that. Their questions come out of a huge curiosity, a, a capacity to learn and to think and to, to go into the unknown. So you are defined by the questions you ask. Be good at asking great questions. Be good at asking great questions. And so what are the questions you can ask in this context? Is my spirit taking me towards increase? Do I have the kind of spirit that is taking me towards increase? It's a great question. But if you don't ask it, you don't know where you're going to go. Amen. And so it's a great question you can ask. Is my spirit taking me towards increase? In other words, is it taking me towards more responsibility? Because it comes out of your spirit. Another one that you can ask is, are my thoughts leading me towards increase? Do I have the kind of thoughts that lead me towards increase? That's why you've got to be careful what you go to sleep with at night. I find in the city of Berlin is the reason people are grumpy in the morning is because they were grumpy at night. And you can't disconnect that. You've got to realize there's something in that. And we've got to understand that you can go to bed with good thoughts and you can wake up with good thoughts in Jesus' name. Amen. And I just believe it's so simple to actually do these things. But growing up spiritually is not just hearing it. I'm willing to live this. I'm willing to apply this in Jesus' name. And so these are the thoughts that I think one more for you. Are your decisions taking you towards increase? In other words, are you making decisions that are leading you towards increase? You want to buy an apartment. Will that lead you towards increase? Will it release you or will it slow you down? You can't overextend yourself financially because it works against you. Instead of releasing you and freeing you to serve God, you basically start pulling back and you've overextended yourself. So decisions and wisdom are always together. And just make a decision and ask yourself, is this job going to lead me towards increase? There's nothing wrong with asking it. It doesn't really mean yes or no. It just means ask the question and at least explore where that question could take you. Let me take you on a little bit more here. And, and I really want you to encourage you that, that following Christ is about laying down what you want and picking up what he wants. And that's why it's controversial then and it's controversial in the 21st century. And Jesus said to his disciples in Mark chapter 8, he says this, when Jesus called his disciples and the crowds to come and over and listen, and he says, if any of you want to follow me, any of you be my follower, he told them, you must put aside your way and your wants and shoulder your own cross and follow me closely. And you've got to understand, Jesus is the only person that could die on a cross. Because it's the cross that no one else could hang on. Because it was a, a cross that only a perfect, holy person could hang on. Jesus was God himself, dying for the sins of the world. Your sin, my sin, my failure, your shame, my guilt, all of the mess of humanity, our rebellion hung upon him on the cross it's the cross and God does for us through Christ on the cross that we cannot do for ourselves. That's why we need a savior. But water baptism is what you get to do for God. See, you can't die on the cross for the world. Why? Because you're not holy. You're not perfect. You're not without sin. Only Christ was. He's the only one who was qualified to hang upon the cross. He was the only sacrifice that God would receive. But when we choose to go public with our faith as a follower of Christ, it's your chance to say, this is what I can do for God. I can make it public in the world. And that's what water baptism is. It's public. My friends, my family, the work colleagues, the people that know me, I am a follower of Christ. See, when you make a decision for Christ, it's eternal. It's eternal, but it's internal. No one can see. 
You go back to work tomorrow and they, if they don't ask you what you did on Sunday and you don't tell them, no one really knows. But over the weeks and over the months, hopefully a compliment will come your way and go, you're different. What's happened to you? You sound different. You act different. See, following Christ is not easy. That's why there's a promise with a process. And you've got to be open to the process, not just excited about the promise. There is a great promise on your life, but it's going to go through a process. So let me give you some thoughts about processes. The team come up and join me. I want you to consider these. I'm going to go quickly. The seven of them that I've written down for you. But I think all of us are going to navigate these as we go on this this, this uh, process of serving God in Jesus' name. And the first one is disappointment. I don't know if you've had disappointment in your life, but I've had disappointment. I've been disappointed with myself. And I need you to understand that. So disappointment does come. But disappointment is, is it's more to do with wrong expectations. Who are you disappointed with? Are you disappointed with yourself? Who's disappointed you? Well, what expectations did you have? What do you think they were going to do? And what we do as humanity is we have all that we're supposed to get from God. We start to get from each other. And then when we don't measure up and we're not all godly and we don't behave the right way, we don't call at the right time, we start getting very upset and disappointed with each other. Why? Because you're trying to get out of each other what you can only really get out of God. He will never disappoint you. He will never reject you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But you can't say that about everyone. Because not everyone's that good. Even your mother. I know she's good, but she's not that good. And I'm not sure she's willing to go to the cross to die for all of the world. Maybe you, but not all the world. So let's get the right things in the right place. Amen. What about distraction? Anybody struggles with distraction? But you've got to accept that if you're going to Honor the promise over your life, the promise of God on your life. You're going to go through a process. And one of the things about process is you'll have an opportunity to be discouraged. You'll have an opportunity to be disappointed. And you've got to learn how to overcome these things. Disappointment is not going to take me away from my God-given appointment. I am disappointed, but I'm going to get back on to the appointment that God's got for my life. So that's the promise going through the process. Distractions is just I've started to look at something that looks better than what I was actually looking at. And I'm telling you, no one or nothing is better than Jesus. But when you take your eyes off Jesus, you can start to look at other things. It looks better over there. If I go to that church, if I go out with this person, if I'm not going to find a boyfriend here. I have to go elsewhere or go somewhere else. Well, it's amazing what we start to make up in our minds and imagination when we take our eyes off Jesus. So don't be distracted. And if you are being distracted, ask the questions. Why am I being distracted? Why is that more attractive right now? Have I taken my eyes off Jesus? And this is something we've all got to do. Discouragement. Has anyone ever been discouraged in this church? Well, I'll tell you, I'm my hands up straight away. But you have maybe a dream or an aspiration. Maybe you've got plans and maybe you've got things and it feels like nothing's working and it was going good, but now it's not any good. And I don't know, but you've got to understand discouragement can get a hold of all of us. You've lost courage. And I'm telling you, I'm not going to allow anyone or anything to knock courage out of me. And yes, it happens, but I have to know where to get my courage again. And I go back to Jesus and I go back to his promise. I go back to the process and I'm not going to let discouragement. I'm not going to allow courage to be knocked out of me. And courage comes back every time I go to him. And I want you to know, don't give up 
when you're trying to do great things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've got to overcome discouragement. You've got to underco- overcome defeat. I've made mistakes. I feel so defeated. How many times have you made a mistake and you feel defeated? I've made mistakes and I feel terrible. Why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that. But you've got to remember defeat is just simply trying to stop you from moving forward. And you may have had a setback, but you can have a comeback. You may have had a a down moment, but you can have an up moment. You've got to remember what goes down can come back up in Jesus' name. And so you've got to understand defeat's not the end. It's just maybe a part of the process. Deception, hanging the wrong friends, hanging around the wrong people, listening to the wrong. You've got to learn that deception will happen to anyone if you walk away from the truth. Stay in the truth. Walk in the truth. Feed on the truth. Number six, division, divided heart, double-minded, unstable in all your ways, the Bible says in the book of James. I don't know what to do. I don't know what church to go to. I don't know what to do. Uh, Shall I go to dinner party? Shall I not? Shall I give? Shall I not? Shall I I get water baptized? Shall I not? Double-minded. You're unstable in all your ways. It is not good to be with someone who is double-minded, especially when they're driving. And number seven, disaster. I hate this. I hate this so much, but disaster does happen. Something happens that you didn't expect. And disasters do happen. Believing for a child and it doesn't happen. Believing for your baby to turn up and you have a disaster. A loss of life. A job that crashes. A marriage that fails. A relationship that turns nasty. A debt that seems to slow you down and never seem to get free of. I don't know what it is, but a disaster. A financial disaster. A relationship disaster. A career disaster. An emotional disaster. A health disaster. Disasters can have a devastating effect if you do not know what to do with disasters. You don't plan for disasters necessarily, to be honest. But you just have to understand that when disasters happen, it's not going to take you out. And so these are just some of the things that I wanted to share with you today. And in conclusion, at the end of this, or trying to land this thought with you today, this is what God's Word says about it. Proverbs 24, it says this, God's people might fall again and again, but they always get up. They always get up. They always get up. Are you going to be that kind of person? Are you going to be that kind of person? Come on, talk to me today. Are you going to be that kind of person? It's the ungodly that are defeated by their troubles. It's the ungodly that are defeated by their troubles. John 15 verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you and appointed you. See, you've got an appointment. So don't let disappointment stop you from going towards God-given appointment. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and the fruit should remain that the Father may give you whatever you ask in my name. It's amazing in John 15, God has to say 27 times, you, 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 me, me. Only once he says, I chose. In other words, God is pretty confident about what he chooses, but he has to remind you and me 27 times, I chose you. And I want to announce to you today, you're still chosen. His hand is on you. His favour is towards you. You are still chosen. 
no matter what the disappointment, no matter what the disaster, no matter what the division, no matter what has happened, you are still his chosen one. Get the t-shirt. Chosen, but still available. Hebrews chapter 12, final verse. Since we are surrounded by so many examples of faith, we must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially the sin that distracts us. We must run the race that lies ahead of us with endurance and never give up. We must keep our focus on Jesus, the source and the goal of our faith. He saw the joy ahead of him, so he endured the death on the cross. He ignored the disgrace it brought him. Now he holds the honored position. The one next to God the Father on the heavenly throne. Think about Jesus again and again, who endured opposition from sinners and scorners and mockers so that you don't become tired and give up. Don't become tired and give up. Don't become tired and give up. Is there anyone tired today? Well, come on, please, don't give up. Don't give up. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. His spirit is new every day. His mercies are new every morning. The promise is going to have a process. Thank God for the promise, but let's thank God for the process.